Hi, I'm Leola. I'm a sacred intimacy mentor and muse and the host of this podcast. Talk Tantra to Me introduces a playful perspective on sacred sexuality. My intention in this podcast is to integrate intimacy and spirituality, empowering you to reclaim your eroticism. It is my mission to inspire you to let go of shame, fear, and limiting beliefs to be present as your highest self in every moment. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now, let's talk Tantra. Today, I have two of my gorgeous, magical, creative, inspiring sisters here, and we're going to be talking about a subject that is, you know, taboo, but shouldn't be. It's really women's rights, it's body autonomy, and it's abortion as well. And this is not something that I've experienced personally as like a body experience, but it's definitely something that I've grappled with, you know, being a woman, having, you know, pregnancy scares and... I'm really, I'm really looking forward to bringing these stories to light and showing a different perspective on this because I knew I grew up in a very conservative town where there's literally nothing less spiritual in that perspective from, you know, small town Missouri. There's nothing less spiritual than getting an abortion. And it was super shamed. I remember growing up in a home where my mother specifically voted around this one issue and voted, you know, very Republican and against abortion and when I first started having sex and the very first time I had sex, my period was two weeks late. So I was terrified. Thankfully, you know, I, I wasn't put in a decision and put in a position where I had to make that decision, but it's definitely something that I feel very close to as well for different reasons. And I've spoken with uh, Grace about this a bit and, um, She's the first person that I think that I really saw this as abortion, as a spiritual experience. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. So I have Grace and Rowan here. Rowan, if you'd like to start just telling um, us a little bit about yourself. Um, I, my name is Rowan Katz. I, um, I use they, them, or fey fair pronouns. And um, I am a genderless fairy, a musician, a mystic. Um, I'm a, a Jew raised between Reformed Judaism and um, eclectic witchcraft. My mom is a practicing witch, um, and I've been um, practicing since I was very young. I started reading cards when I was about 10. Um, <clears throat> I'm an herbalist um, and a poet, and um, uh, thank you so much for having me here today, Leola and I'm so grateful to be here with my beautiful friend Grace that um, was actually present for a part of the story that I'm going to tell, which I'm really grateful for. And I think this is a really, really important topic. And I honestly couldn't pick two better people to be in the room with to talk about this today. So thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And Grace, would you like to? Yeah. I am Grace McGrade. I am a practicing witch and astrologer. Um, yeah, and I've had a spiritual abortion. <laughs> uh, 
Beautiful. Cool. I also wanted to um, bring up the fact that I didn't know that today was the Women's March for like body rights. Did you guys realize that? No. There's people no marching what? downtown, like it all over. And I had no idea. What? And we just happened to schedule this today. Well, there's also something really interesting happening astrologically, which is Eris, which is a lesser known asteroid, which uh, it's, or call, it's called, the, I call it the shit stirring dwarf planet of female resentment, mm-hmm. is squaring Pluto. <laughs> which is the soul's evolution, the collective soul's evolution um, in the next two weeks. And the last time these two planetary bodies interacted was during the Me Too movement and um, also during the Women's March. So these conversations, I think, are going to, you know, become more and more commonplace and pertinent. They're very important dialogues. I feel like my body's been in constant chills since we started speaking. But yeah. Yeah. Excited to go deeper on this. So Rowan, why don't you start by sharing a little bit about your story with, you know, abortion and this experience. So I've had two abortions. Um, that was something that I was really ashamed of for a long time. I used to tell people that I had only had one and, Mm -hmm. um, I don't give a shit now. Um, (laughs) there's so many people who have had more than one abortion Um, And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that either. Um, My first abortion uh, was when I was 18. And my second one was when I was 21. Um, I was in active addiction um, to alcohol and other substances. And um, I think a lot of that was also spurred on by the trauma of abortion and not having any idea how to deal with that. I'm sorry, my second one was when I was 20, not 21. But um, the first abortion I had, I I had an ongoing uh, relationship with someone for most of the time I was a teenager. And um, it was... One of those crazy relationships where, like, you can't be in the same room as someone. Mm -hmm. Like, you could leave us alone in the kitchen for two minutes and we'd be, like, on the floor. (laughs) I recall. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, Grace was there. Uh, We've known each other since we were, like, 14 or 15. And um, in a weird way, I think it was sort of inevitable that it happened. I think with certain people, it's like my body knew that at a certain point in time, this person was going to get me pregnant. And Mm -hmm. I don't know the science behind that, but there was a really high chemistry there Mm -hmm. on so many levels. And it was devastating, honestly, because I really loved this person and I still do as a friend. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was very confused. I had just moved to New York and Grace was one of the only people that I knew and felt safe and close enough at the time to tell what was going on. Um, It was a brutal experience though. And um, I didn't tell the person who got me pregnant for months afterwards for fear of how they would react and just the shame. And I have to say that I was raised in a really sex positive household. My mom um, has terminated pregnancies. Uh, My grandmother terminated a pregnancy. So I come from a line of women who have been really gung-ho about their rights. My paternal grandmother was one of the first women to practice criminal law in the state of California. So he was brought up in an extremely progressive Mm -hmm. feminist household, even in the 50s and 60s. 
Um, and he was surrounded by queer people, people of color, women who were being criminalized by the system. And um, even with all of that, the amount of shame that I felt in that experience was was really intense. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that the worst thing I could possibly do was get pregnant. Mm. I literally thought, like, I had re- reoccurring thoughts as a teenager, like, well, I'm a, I'm a huge fuck up and I can't do anything right, but at least I haven't gotten pregnant. And then I got pregnant and I thought, that's it. It's the end of the world. I'm a worthless piece of shit, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And, you know, this is coming from an 18-year-old with <laughs> issues, to say the least. That year was a really hard year. I experienced a lot of loss and grief outside of that abortion that year. Um, I had a dream um, right around the time that I found out I was pregnant. And I dreamt about what my life would have been if I had um, carried out the pregnancy. And I saw my daughter and she was so gorgeous. And um, I named her Violet, which became the name of my first album later on. And I saw myself, you know, 20, 30 years into the future, like I dreamt a whole life and I loved my daughter so much in that dream, but I didn't like a lot of things about the life that I led Mm. um, in that dream. And um, I firmly believe, I mean, there are so many reasons why I believe that those experiences came to me. Um, I feel like there's so much that I still haven't worked out on a spiritual level about those experiences. Um, There's so much that I still don't know regarding my ontology about what constitutes life or I believe I'm a bit of an animist, so I do believe that everything is imbued with life Mm. and with with spirit. Mm -hmm. And I believe that everything that has happened to me is sort of a divine experience, but it didn't feel like it at the time. And that's because I was also extremely removed from myself Mm -hmm. and from um, my spirit, from my practice at that time in my life. And the trauma resulting from how I rather didn't navigate that experience Mm -hmm. led me to some really dark places. I'm not going to lie about that. That that trauma led me to some pretty self-destructive behaviors. And now I can look back at that kid, because I really was a kid. When you're 18, you're still a kid in a lot of ways and just hold so much love for that person and see that a huge part of this experience and what makes it spiritual for me is releasing shame. Mm. Because I don't 
feel shame about those experiences anymore. And I thought that I would forever. I thought I would spend the rest of my life feeling guilty about them. And I don't anymore at all. In fact, I feel so empowered mm-hmm. by making those choices for myself and for my partners who are pursuing, you know, their lives and their livelihoods and their creative projects in their own ways and already dealing with enough as young people in the society. And um, <clears throat> I don't think that any of us should feel ashamed about that whatsoever at all. So I have completely released myself from that. Um, <clears throat> I can talk a bit more about my second experience with abortion, which was really different and far more spiritual, um, if that's okay. Yeah, please continue. So when I was 20, um, two years later, I had my first abortion, like I found out I was pregnant two weeks after I moved to New York. And I had my second one like a month before I left. And it was just this really sort of like fucked up. Like I was like, are you serious? You know? And I had still, I had just gotten to the point of working through a lot of the worst of the first one over the period of two years. And um, shouts out to Planned Parenthood. They performed both of my abortions and they were both medicated abortions where I took uh, two pills um, at home. And um, I'm so grateful to the friends that held me through that experience both times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can go into some detail about that later also, because I think a lot of people wonder what medicated abortion is like. Um, but my partner at the time that I had my second abortion, we hadn't been together for very long, but they were and are a really, really gifted uh, healer and herbalist and practicing witch and mystic. Um, and I don't want to say too much about them, mm-hmm. not, not give away their anonymity and respect them but I will say they come from several traditions of really really powerful magic and wisdom and Mm -hmm. mysticism um they were so fucking supportive and before we tried a medicated abortion we actually pursued the route of an herbal one as both of us were herbalists um and that didn't work and I do want to put a huge disclaimer on herbal abortion Mm -hmm. and using emetagogues to induce Mm -hmm. um, a miscarriage or terminate a pregnancy, it can be really, really dangerous. Yeah. Um, And it's very rare that they actually do work and you have to catch it very early on in order for it to work. Mm -hmm. Um, And if anybody who's watching this or listening to this has questions about my experience with that, I really encourage you to hit me up or ask a medical professional about that. Um, Ask a professional herbalist about it. They will tell you much the same of what I'm telling you. Also, just want to cut in, there is an episode of this podcast. I don't have the exact number here, but it's with Paige. It's something along the lines of an herbal or holistic perspective of sex. So she does talk about kind of what that process looks like to do like a naturopathic um, abortion or inducing your period. She also highly recommends getting a professional, especially if it's beyond the inducing your period portion of the show. So definitely take a look at that if you are interested in, you know, trying that route and also definitely enlist a professional, but 
Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. For sure. Yeah. And that's great. I'm so glad that we also have material from this mm -hmm. awesome podcast for people to go to. Mm -hmm. um, but we tried that and it didn't work. And uh, both times I found out I was pregnant, I believe I was already four weeks in. So um, that's pretty common. Most people don't actually realize that they're pregnant until they have missed a period. And by that point, it is already um, four weeks in, five weeks in, six weeks in. So policies that um, mandate that you get an abortion before six weeks are uh, complete and total bullshit. Um, but so yeah, basically what happened is my partner, bless them, oh my God, was so amazing during that process. They took such incredible care of me and um, they were actually the one that suggested that we do a ceremony to help the spirit of that being mm. move on. Mm -hmm. and, and I wanna also say something, which is that I don't believe that life begins at conception necessarily because I believe that we are all inherently imbued with life at any point in our process mm -hmm. but um, I do believe that that was a really important part of our grieving process because um, at the end of the day I loved the people that I had these experiences with very much and that's not the case for everyone by a long shot mm -hmm. but I did love those people very much and I was grieving a life that we could have had together. I was grieving a family that we could have had together. And I was also grieving the fact that I never ever wanted kids before experiencing those pregnancies. Mm. And I don't know what happened to me on a biological level, the hormones that got released in me, the experiences that mm. I had. But I also wonder if part of my journey with having those pregnancies was to actually lead me to a place where I wanted children um, and how much that's going to affect my life from here on out because I still do really want children um, <laughs> and that's really special too and I do believe that those spirits will come back to me when it's time for mm -hmm. them to actually be brought into this world as, as human beings unless I give birth to puppies which is like also totally fine with me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we we held sacred space, we we made ritual and we chanted and we cried and we said what we needed to say um, to the being that may have been invited in too soon mm -hmm. in our lives. Um, and I suffered so much less guilt and shame and grief, you know, really having my partner be present with me during that, mm -hmm. having my friends be really present with me, whereas the first one, my friends were present with me, but I kept a lot of my experience to myself and I really shoved it down and did all the really healthy things, you know, but um, I will be forever grateful to that person for the way that they carried us through that experience. And it's really, made me so much more aware of what is possible regarding how we create abortion. Um, I also am really um, just so grateful for the work that abortion doulas do. Yeah, what um, is that? I've never heard of that. So we have 
this idea, and I'm sure that there are different, more kinds of doulas that I'm not aware of. Yeah. Um, but I know mostly about birth doulas, yeah. death doulas, and there's also abortion doulas. Um, I think that there's also postpartum doulas, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, so an abortion doula is actually someone that's certified and has been educated in how to guide people that have experienced pregnancy termination or miscarriage um, through the process. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is like such incredible work. Mm -hmm. um, and I would really love to be able to do that one day, actually. And um, I'm also so grateful that I've had these experiences because what if I have a kid one day and they decide to have an abortion? Mm. You know, I can only imagine that at some point in my life, another one of my friends is going to have an abortion. Um, and I want to know how to show up for them and be present for that and take shame away from the experience and hold them and do whatever mm. they need in that capacity. Um, so yeah, um, I think that that's, you know, the, the bulk of my experience, you know, without giving too much detail, but yeah. I also wanted to add that, um, I often think about the fact that if I hadn't been able to have those terminations that I would have, uh, two children right now. And, um, not that it matters because the only reason that you should ever need to terminate a pregnancy is that you don't want to be pregnant and that you don't want to give birth, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But I think about the fact that both of those pregnancies happened before I got sober. Mm -hmm. And when I was really young, I'm 25 and I'm like, like so full of love and have healed so much, but I'm also 25 and like still getting my shit together in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And when I do bring kids into this world, I want to be the absolute best parent that I can possibly be for them. And that is also a spiritual mm. experience in a really profound way. Like there's so many mother wounds in me from like my own maternal lineages mm -hmm. that I'm going to spend a lot more time working through before I feel like I can really parent a child without repeating a lot of those cycles. Yeah. Uh, I have one question. If you feel comfortable, would you mind sharing a little bit more about what the ritual or the ceremony was like in the way that you honored that spirit or that loss? Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I mean, it was a traumatic experience still just due to the amount of like grief that I was feeling. Um, so I don't remember it super clearly, mm. but, and also I want to add that, um, the lineages that my partner at the time come from, uh, I believe that several of them are closed practices. So I was really sort of giving him them the reins there. Um, but we did incorporate, um, chanting, and I think that the chanting was really important, but the thing that I found to be most important was actually like just feeling so much love. Mm. Like we centered so much love, like our love for each other, our love for whatever that being would have been. And um, 
speaking to it and telling them that it's okay for you to go right now. We love you so much, but it's not the right time right now. And you're invited to come back, you know, to either of us together, apart, you know, at some point when it's right for you. And we centered so much love through that experience that I feel like love is the undoing of shame. It's the balm to shame. And I think sometimes shame can also be an expression of love too, but it depends on the circumstance, yeah. you know? And, um, but yeah, I just remember, you know, in my experience, um, and there are certain books that I've read that talk a lot about this. Um, I can't remember the one that I just was reading recently for the life of me, but we have so many experiences that are societally shamed already and so frowned upon mm -hmm. that knowing how to grieve those experiences with love is almost completely unavailable yeah. to a great deal of us. And I think one of the most radical and meaningful things that has been done for me in my life is being given the space to grieve experiences that I was told I should never even speak about. Well, yeah. So that's what that ritual really did. It was a grief ritual. It was ceremonial and yeah, God, <laughs> so glad that we did that when we did. And I also want to say that like to have someone step up into a role of actually like carrying that space and like like that person is a beautiful queer being like myself but also like I really felt like they were holding what one might refer to as a masculine polarity in that situation mm. because I needed someone to be my container mm. and I needed someone to create a space during a time when I was just no <laughs> you know yeah. I was like completely just like I can't do structure um I can't hold myself here or really mm. hold you and um god that was so healing as well um and I think that no matter what kind of relationship you're in whether it be queer as fuck or super like hetero traditional whatever's going on there whatever roles you're embracing sometimes one person needs to step up and take on a certain polarity mm -hmm. and I'm just really really grateful for the fact that that person held that space for me at that time it's incredible cheers to the compassionate evolved masculine yeah yeah and I, I think that it, you know again as Ron had said like this queer partner stepped into that role but you can I feel like as like you can ask your community to take that role like you can ask you know, your friends, whether they're, you know, however they identify. So beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. It was yeah, so special. Yeah. Um, Grace, would you like to share your story? Yes, absolutely. Um, my story begins in Scotland. I had freshly moved to um, Findhorn, which is a spiritual community. I did not know many people there. Um, but I did, in fact, fall in love. <laughs> I met um, this beautiful South African guy. And within two weeks, uh, we were living together. 
and it was very magnetic it was very dynamic um it was also that's him now just kidding <laughs> Hey. I, think that, I think that's my CFA box. Yeah. Everyone that's oh, my girl. Um, it's fine. And um, it was like kind of, you know what they say about those like twin flame relationships where like everything is brought out really, really quickly. Like yeah. he was supposed to go back to South Africa and he didn't. And he instead he kind of like immediately moved in with me. And it was like we were under each other's spell. It was just like complete sex all the time we weren't trying it was not like we were trying to get pregnant but we weren't not trying to get pregnant mm -hmm. and you know what's interesting is i think i even remember the exact moment of conception because i remember having such like powerful this is my first experience of tantric sex because it mm -hmm. was like we're on this like high vibrational part of the land my like heart was so open and i think i even recall being like something that is not us has entered the space. Something has entered the chat, so to speak. And this was, um, I think when said conception happened and, um, when I found out, I, cause I, I missed my period. Um, my immediate emotion was not one of fear. It was actually one of love and joy and then it kind of quickly changed because of the practicality. You know, mm -hmm. he didn't have a job. Um, at first, I think we like toyed with the idea of, of moving to South Africa. And, you know, with these experiences, sometimes you build this like imaginary timeline in, in your head and it can be kind of like suddenly there's this like timeline that's extending out in front of you and it's daunting and it's really intense. And we were already kind of having relational issues. Um, and because I was new to this part of the world and this land, like I hadn't had just sort of entered this existing community. Um, and as a result, what happened was I was kind of forced to be very vulnerable with people. Um, I luckily had two friends there who had had similar experiences, but I remember the most daunting thing was like, I don't know what I'm going to, tell my dad, you know, I was like, what am I going to say to him? Like, I don't know what to do. And luckily my, both my parents were like, look, this is, this is your choice. You know, mm -hmm. I'm very lucky to have, have, um, incredible parents. Um, but I knew that whatever was happening, I was having a spiritual experience. Um, I knew, and I felt differently when I, when I was pregnant. Like something energetically shifted and it probably hormonally shifted mm -hmm. and it felt like whatever that was, was an, an initiation, an important initiation of, of some kind, mm -hmm. whether or not I needed to sort of meld with this person's DNA momentarily, or there was some kind of, it was like, I was given like an extra boon of sort of super mama strength all of a sudden. And, and this sense of like, okay, what, like, what am I going to do? So I called my dad and I really took time to think about this. Like I really, um, sat with this decision for a while. And my dad was like, listen, um, I can refer you to, to my Kabbalah teacher, um, who has an interesting story about sort of pregnancy and abortion. And I wanted to sort of talk to a lot of people before I made an ultimate decision. Um, even though once again, the, the practicality of, of us having a child was sort of 
basically impossible um, because capitalism. <laughs> and um, so I called this guy, his name's John Oakley, and he told me this story. And he told me that when he was 19, him and his girlfriend got pregnant and they had to get an abortion. Um, and they agreed to never talk about it again. And they stayed together for sort of four years after that, just purely in a sort of trauma bond because mm. they were both so felt so guilty and ashamed. And when John Oakley, uh, four years later, when he was having a sort of spiritual awakening, he was somewhere in London at some um, event. And this man came up to him and he was like, listen, I'm, I'm a psychic. Um, and John Oakley's uncle had just passed away. And he was like, I see your uncle, you know, and he was describing him. He was like, there's this scent of tobacco. His uncle, like, obviously smoked tobacco out of a pipe. And he's like describing him perfectly. And he's like, and I also see this four-year-old girl. And she wants you to know that she can't come back unless you forgive yourself. And so he got out of the relationship. He worked on forgiving himself. Years later, he finds a new girlfriend. She gets pregnant. And they're walking I think uh, by the River Thames, and they pass the building in which John Oakley's old girlfriend got her abortion. And his new girlfriend is pregnant, and she goes, he points out the building, and then the baby starts kicking. Like it was potentially the same soul that was sort of making itself known. And I really believe that some souls maybe come here for just like a, not even a full physical experience. Mm -hmm. My mom shared a story with me where she had um, a miscarriage before I was born and she had sort of put her hands on her stomach and been like, now is not a good time. And then she miscarried. And then, you know, I was the next child. So I believe that I also had like a temporary experience and then, mm. and then came back. So upon hearing that story, um, I mean, that, that was what I needed to sort of hear and it's what I needed to know in order for me to adequately uh, make a decision. And my partner who um, did not deal with it in an ideal way, he was very in the sort of mind of like, no, we just can't do this. And it was very heartbreaking because I was also sort of grieving that relationship at the same time. But he luckily waited with me. Um, and in Scotland, there's free health care. And I um, went and I, I was, um, went into hospital. I was administered a, a pill, two pills. One was taken orally. One was not. <laughs> um, and it was incredibly um, painful and um, scary. And um, luckily, he was there. You know, and he sat with me. And afterwards, they were like, you know, we usually cremate um, the remains. And when I say remains, like, it's like a clot that was like tiny, tiny, tiny. Yeah. And they were like, what do you want us to do with it? And I was like, I, I, I want it. And they were like, okay, <laughs> you fucking weirdo. And I was like, yeah, I want it. 
Um, so what, what was interesting about this part of land, it was uh, in Forest, and Forest is um, this small town in Scotland, and there, there had been a lot of, of witch hunts there. Um, and so there's this like beautiful forest um, called Clooney Woods, and I would go there and I would walk every day. Another thing I kind of want to also mention is a lot historically like witches were people who would administer abortions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is interesting mm -hmm. like you would go see like a like a witch in the corner you know of the the forest mm -hmm. and they would give you some anyway concoction um so i took the remains and i did i i buried it in, in these woods and i lit a candle and i wrote a poem um about it and I read the poem um, and the poem was an homage to the timeline that I had built in my head you know where I knew that this was gonna it would have been a little girl I knew you know if it had been possible what that life or that path would have looked like um, and I really wanted in some way to get intimate with the experience I did not want to run away from the experience I wanted um, yeah just just to have love for for that and um yeah it was it was really powerful and i um i do believe that that it happened for a reason i do believe that i was changed permanently i think that my confidence changed i don't think that the mama whatever the the boon of mama energy ever left me after that wow. you know i really felt and i also knew that i wanted to have children Mm -hmm. from that experience I really knew and it fostered intimacy with everybody in that community um you know and it really bonded me very deeply to people in a way that I don't think I had ever been vulnerable with people like that before um and insofar as sort of the way that my then partner handled it it was you know disappointing but had he um, I would never have known who he really was unless I saw who he really was, mm. you know, and, and thank God because nope, nope. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other thing that, that it also did was it, it really changed my relationship to my dad who I had had so much resentment and, um, rage towards and the way that he showed up for me emotionally and how sort of carefully and kindly he navigated that will forever, you know, be, I think, I mean, I, it was one of my proudest moments to see how, how sort of, I mean, he was in his masculinity. He was mm -hmm. like, what do you need? How can we help you? You know? And, um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for mm -hmm. sharing that. I definitely resonate with the, part of your story where you shared that it showed you who this person was and like what a gift to know that yeah you know, so early yeah and I know in my pregnancy scares and there's been a few every single time it really brought to light like if I know that in this moment that I don't want to have their child based on the way they're acting then like why am I wasting my time yeah. with this person and then at the same time I thought like what if I were to have a child right now, like how would I support that child? And like, what would I be doing differently? And to me, it was like at the, I'm thinking about one time specifically, and I was working for some like 
company that I didn't really like. And I was like, well, I would definitely quit and I would definitely start my own business. And like, I realized like if I would do that just to support my child, why don't I do that to my own inner child? Like, why don't I do that for myself? And so that was, Mm -hmm. and I, I quit that job and I started doing my own thing and it was super transformative seeing these experiences as like medicine. And I would love to kind of get your guys' experience with that aspect of it. Like, how did you move from the shame and guilt and fear projected on you by society, by peers, whatever, into something more, you know, transformative or expansive? I mean, I think for me, I, I really, um, like leaned into the fact that there was a higher intelligence at play. Like that's Mm -hmm. what I needed to move through the guilt and sort of the shame. There's a higher intelligence at play, you know? And I also think that like with DNA and like genetics, like who knows? Like, I think I probably gained some kind of, you know, there was there something needed, like it needed to happen. Mm -hmm. Like everything that ever happens needed Mm -hmm. to happen. That was how I kind of transmuted the guilt and the shame. Um, I also, you know, as an astrologer can tell you that there was a lot of, you know, placements and transits that, that indicated that this experience needed to happen and, and was very, very powerful. I remember actually going to go see my great aunt in Scotland, who is also an astrologer and I hadn't told her, you know, and I was still sort of sitting on the decision and she was like, there seems to be like a transit of like a lot of motherhood themes coming up right now. Like, I was just like, okay, this is by the, you know, there's some higher design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my release of shame, whether it be over my abortions or in general, I think it's just like a huge ongoing process in my mm-hmm. life, but sobriety has really really been helpful because i've had sort of this clear lens into everything that i buried for a long time Mm -hmm. and um you know as part of a 12-step program uh you do a four-step which is a list of your resentments and, and your guilt and all of these things and looking at that really clearly and you know having resentments whether they make sense or not is like again i love the people that i've had these experiences with very much but i had resentments towards them you know it doesn't matter if they're logical or not and i had a shit ton of resentment towards myself and i think what grace was saying regarding like forgiving yourself is so important and being honest about what you feel resentful about um i also want to say that like talking publicly about this has been so scary and so vulnerable but um the first time i ever did it i was at um underneath saint mark's open mic oh fun (laughs) and i was wasted and it was like the middle of the night and i just like got on the floor and just talked about my fucking abortion and like i'm so grateful to that community too just like weirdos and freaks and artists just like holding space for my like baby self to talk about that experience. And I think also a huge part of this has been very like psychosomatic for me and going through different iterations of like somatic practice and um, 
like there's so many different parts of my spiritual practice and all these tools that I found over the years. So like dance has been really important. Oh yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, I danced. Oh I yeah, love that. I danced like a lot right yeah. after. That's what I did, and it was really really helpful. And because you know the the body keeps the score. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great book. <laughs> Actually, on that note, I completely forgot, but that was right after that was when I decided I was going to study Reiki because I wanted to energetically heal Mm -hmm. my body. Uh So it was what made me become a Reiki master, Mm -hmm. you know, after that, that experience, I was like, I want to learn, I want to get intimate with, with this part of my body. I want to learn how to sort of have love for, for this. It completely changed the course of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And like, so for some added context, I have a lot of like womb issues and Mm -hmm. trauma. Like that year of my life was really difficult. I lost a best friend to suicide. I lost my great grandmother. I, graduated high school, had an abortion. And then after the abortion, um, I went looking for literally anything that would reinforce the idea that I had about myself that Mm -hmm. was very, very shame-based and that I, you know, all sorts of negative thoughts. And in the process, I found um, someone who really, really mistreated my body and really took advantage of a very vulnerable young person. And I won't get into that for the sake of people listening, but um, I've had chronic lower back pain located around my coccyx mm-hmm. at the very base of my spine for six years, seven years maybe since then. And I also have premenstrual dysphoric disorder and I have uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. <laughs> So there's a lot of trauma that I have concentrated in my body around this. And I have found working with herbs to be like really important. Like eating the right stuff is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Taking care of my body is such an important thing regarding like the specific traumas that my womb and my sacral and root energy centers and chakras have experienced. And that's also so ancestral for me. I don't know how many people in my lineages have had pregnancy terminations. I come from mostly an Ashkenazi Jewish lineage. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have been all over the world trying to escape from everybody and everyone. And (laughs) I can't even imagine what the people in my lineage have gone through regarding trauma around rape and assaults and pregnancy. So that's just like an ongoing process. And as much as it's so difficult to be in my body on some days from the chronic pain and from my moons just being sort of awful (laughs) in a lot of ways, like I embrace that and I feel very called to the task of like working through that in this Mm -hmm. lifetime and in this body. Um, Because I believe that if enough of us do it, then maybe our children won't that won't manifest in the same way. Yeah. Go into the pain, baby. Gotta go into it. Yeah. Gotta go into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like we're having this conversation for generations of 
mothers and would-be mothers. Yeah. And how are you guys feeling about the current state of the world and the current way that people are perceiving this experience and making it even a criminal experience, especially in Texas, which is where they recently passed the I law. mean, I'm oh, sorry. Around the sixth week. You know, anyways, go ahead. I think that bodily autonomy and bodily sovereignty is a human right. Blanket it. Mm-hmm. And that is that. That's as, as... That seems to be a very prominent, important mm-hmm. discussion that we're having. Um, I definitely also think that it's interesting that the same people who are, um, you know... Yeah, I'm going to leave it there. Simple. <laughs> I love it. Keep it simple, Sally. Yeah, I, I very much so agree. And I think that, um, I think it's, I'm, I might be picking up on what you're saying a little bit and I'm going to go a step further and say that, uh, for me, bodily autonomy does not stop at my belief that people should have the right to choose when and how they get pregnant and if they want to terminate that pregnancy or carry it to term. And uh, I believe in bodily sovereignty for all beings and everything that we put into our bodies um, and do with our bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that I want to say that rather than focus on feeding into the messages around why people feel so strongly about controlling the bodies of others. I want to focus on what we can do to teach our children and teach our peers and teach the young people in our lives and all people in our lives, regardless of age or gender, um, that their bodily autonomy and sovereignty matters and to respect the bodily autonomy and sovereignty of other people. Mm. Because there's so many generations of people whose minds we're not going to change, you know, in this lifetime. Um, And there's a lot of people whose minds we are going to change. And I think that that for me is the focus. And I find that the more that I release shame in myself, the more I can greet others and see theirs very clearly Mm -hmm. and decide how I'm going to absorb that or not really. Um, So I think that like this fight is far from over. And um, I am the proud child of... um, people who have dedicated a lot of their lives to making sure that that we are able to choose what happens to our bodies um and yeah whatever it is that needs to be done to further education Mm -hmm. and to sort of uh greet this from a place of like healing and and greet it for generations to come i think is something that is so at the core of my being because think liberation and freedom and sovereignty is so essential to who I am and I don't want to speak for you grace but a hundred percent agree with you I also think that like it's very important to know like as healers we heal through our experience of the wound Mm -hmm. you know like you can only like for example my dad's an addiction counselor you Mm -hmm. know like he wouldn't be able to be an addiction counselor unless he was in fact an addict and had sort of gone through that so sometimes um 
yeah, I think that, that for me, like I know that I have been able to be of service to, you know, many clients who have sort of grappled with some of these decisions and, and how deeply personal of an experience it is. And, um, I think that everybody should, should be able to make their own decision, you know? Yeah. I definitely resonate with that just in terms of like, I wouldn't have got into the work that I'm doing now in sexuality without like being sexually assaulted, you know? So it's these traumatic experiences that can really shift things. And I love Rowan that you had also brought up this idea of like minds can change. And like, I'm one of those minds that changed again. Like I grew up in a place where like, this was like the act of the devil. I remember telling one of my friends in middle school, like we were talking about abortion for whatever reason and saying, well, what if Mary, mother Mary would have aborted Jesus? Like that was my, oh my argument, which is like so perfect. Cause I love like Mary Magdalene's like one of my greatest spirit guides. But like thinking about like the spirit is going to make its way into this world like one way or another. Exactly. And exactly. Yeah, and and I love to last little piece that I'd like to to touch on before we round out this conversation is just like how do we perceive society needs to shift or the collective conscious needs to shift to move away from the fear and the shame and the guilt. And one of the things that I've said when people bring up abortion is that it's like a super complicated issue on so many levels that there's really no like one thing that is going to like make everyone feel at peace with this. And to me, it's like there needs to be other options for women too. Like there needs to be a space where like there isn't there, you know, there isn't capitalism and there isn't patriarchy so that there isn't the pressure to get one if you don't, if you actually do want to carry. And then if you don't, then, you know, there's other options for that. And so I love to, to get your guys' perspective on, on, on that. Well, I think like looking at the bigger picture, a lot of this, here we are, we're moving from like part of being on earth is we're living in duality. Like that's part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. The issue around some of this is that a lot of it has been made um, binary and black and white Mm -hmm. and you're this way or you're not. Um, And I think that part of what we are all here to shift is to move out of distortions and duality and move into unity. Mm -hmm. And this change and this sort of issue um, of duels (laughs) Mm -hmm. is, you know, being played out um, very dramatically. Um, and the only way I think to, to shift it and to sort of move in an energetic way, um, is to get rid of guilt, to get rid of shame and to just follow your own kind of resonance. And -hmm. I think that applies to this issue as well, you know, where it, it, it's not about good or bad. It's not about right or wrong. Um, it's about emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think <clears throat> something that I've thought a lot about, I mean, thanks to the teachings of a lot of other wonderful people, mm-hmm. um, there's a word that's gone around a lot and a word that one of my favorite scholars, Adrian Marie Brown, the author of Emergent Strategy and Pleasure Activism, talks about, which is interdependence and what Mm. becomes possible when we can actually hold space for our own beliefs 
and have released so much of the need to control others that we can believe what we believe and not feel like someone else has to believe the exact same yeah. thing, which is just like, that's very evolved for us. And that's yeah. also shifting out of this paradigm of yeah, like that's what we need to do. control and like sort of the distorted masculine polarity that mm-hmm. has, you know, whatever, all of that stuff, which we're all indoctrinated with. We all have internalized misogyny and we all have yeah. distorted masculinity and all of these things. But yeah, I mean, I think that so you're, I think it's so important what, what you're talking about for people to, to live in a world where it's also like, I, you know, didn't have to make the decision of staying in school and living my life or having a kid. Because I think part of the shame around it is that I, I did want that kid. I, you know, I got pregnant twice by people that I really cared about. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was really hard for me to sort of let go of what could have been. Yeah. Um, I want to live in a world where, you know, teenagers have so many resources that if they do get pregnant and do want to carry that pregnancy to term that they haven't already fallen into traps of substance abuse and, you know, they're getting all of the support that they need to be able to do that. Um, and all of this sex education that they need to make really informed choices with all the resources at their disposal, which is one of the most sort of ironic, awful parts of people advocating against the right to choose is like none of that's being followed up, you know, with resources or education or any of these things. So it's like, all right, what's really, what's really going on there? And, um, I also do want to say, you know, like I have an experience navigating uh, queerness and dysphoria being a part of pregnancy. And there's so many stories about abortion, about pregnancy that, um, holy God, like I'm sitting with two beautiful, you know, white women Mm -hmm. and like, we're we've barely gotten the support that we need to navigate sexual trauma and reproductive trauma and there are so many people that are being abused by these same systems in so many dark and terrible ways due to their identities and their otherness and Mm -hmm. you know trans people people of color people who are you know living in extreme poverty and I think that that's also one of the things that we need to take a really long, hard look at as well in order to heal this stuff yeah. or those legacies. I mean, a lot of us come from lineages that have involved rape. I think may- maybe most of us, mm-hmm. most humans on this planet, which is really fucking crazy to think about. Yeah. This issue is something that touches every other sort of issue. And in fact, like it's the origin story, it's, it's birth and it's lack of birth where, I don't know, it's super fascinating, but I do love that we got into this space of like, let's hold space for a new earth that includes a space where there are the resources, there are the options. There's no shame around it either. There's no shame if you say, I want to carry this child to pregnancy, but then I want to, you know, to the end of term and then put it up for adoption or I want to keep my child or, you know, or I don't. And that's also okay. I don't, my body's not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. Mm -hmm. And to be able to have an open space where there's just like, 
unfortunately, like these decisions that so many people are making are based on fear and they have to be like, that's just where we're at. And, um, how can we move into a space that's more like trust for everyone? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Do you guys have anything else you'd like to add on this topic? Um, I want to say that, um, if people are looking to be directed towards resources, um, if you want to donate, um, you can look up organizations that are uh, sort of moving against the Texas abortion ban um, mm-hmm. online, and maybe Lula can link you. Yeah, I'll put some in the um, show notes. And um, there's also a really incredible spoken word poem on the topic of Mary Magdalene um, that I, that feels relevant to this conversation. It's called Feral Mary, and it's by Kelly something. I don't know her last name, but I'll also send that to both of you if you want to feral, check it out. Feral women. Feral women. <laughs> yeah. Feral. Mm-hmm. And that if anybody listening to this... Um, resonates with my story or wants to carry on a conversation um you can uh find me through leola's stuff which she'll probably tag grace and i in i'll put in the show notes but if you want to also put just your website or instagram or anything right now you're welcome to just share it cool yeah i'm at rowan r-o-w-a-n-k-a-t-z my profile is private right now but you can request to follow me or shoot me a dm yeah um, maybe shoot a dm and say you listen to the podcast and yeah then also follow her um, and i also just want to say thank you so much yeah thank you for holding space yeah. i don't think i could have this is a very safe container and you know and thank you so much grace thank for you. everything i love you so much i love you too <laughs> Grace, would you like to add anything or share where we can find you? Um, you can find me at Grace McGrade on Instagram. Um, my website is palpablemagic.com. Uh, and yeah, feel free to reach out if you have any questions. You know, I'm also very happy to kind of sit with somebody who, who wants to form um, a ritual around maybe healing from this um, or answer any questions about how to sort of convert some of this emotional material into a ceremony that would would sort of aid in lifting it or transmuting it or changing it yeah beautiful thank you for the offering as well and thank you so much for so vulnerably and authentically sharing these stories it feels very light and i feel so much love in this room right now i feel the spirits of these these babies (laughs) beautiful and thank you so much to the listeners thank you for holding space for all of us in this conversation and even just for opening yourself up to this idea of viewing abortion as this incredible transformative experience that is you know shifting 